This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.45 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 25th of June, 2020. This is episode 256 of Bitcoin and, and I was told that this actually should have been uh, the episode for the epoch and not 250 because, well, 256. And if you're a computer nerd, you get it. And I went with 250. I was probably wrong, but uh, I didn't even think about it, honestly. It's a good idea, I suppose. And this will be like one of the last... uh, episodes that I do before I leave to Golden, Colorado. Oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait. Mountains, rivers, trees, you know, stuff (laughs) other than the high plains of Texas, which don't get me wrong, has, you know, a beauty in its own right, but you got to change your, you got to change what you're looking at every once in a while. I know people that, that live full time in Colorado that are like, meh. I'm like, how can you be meh? And well, you just yet have to live there. Like I love rain, but I'm sure if I lived in Seattle for a while, I would probably not like rain. And no, I wouldn't go to to the Chad or Chaz or Chop or Chomp or whatever the whatever they're calling that thing nowadays. Screw it. Let's talk about compound token. <laughs> compound token got a little bump. Let's do this one from Samuel Haig. He's writing that. This morning, for Coin Telegraph, Comp Token spikes 25%. On surprise, Binance listing. Got to keep the, the the scam alive, y'all. You got to keep the scam alive. And who else are you going to turn to when you really need to keep your scam alive? Binance. That's who you're going to turn to. Surprise, Binance listing led to a sudden 25% spike in the price of Compound's governance token. Um, comp tokens began trading approximately one week ago, quickly making triple figure gains and attracting millions in trade volume. Binance stated that it did not charge a listing fee for introducing the pairings. Binance now supports pairings between comp and BTC, USDT, BNB, and BUSD. On June the 25th, Binance announced that it would list pairings for comp one hour before they went live. Spiking the token's price by roughly 24% from $210 to $260 in five minutes on Poloniex. However, the move was much more gradual on the leading U.S.-based exchange Coinbase, which saw Comp gain 24.5% over the course of 30 minutes. Prices have since retraced 10% with Comp changing hands for roughly $230 as of press time. Comp token comprises the 24th largest crypto asset by market cap. 
Decentralized finance tokens have recently seen significant volatility, which comps triple-figure gains and subsequent 40% crash, setting the tone for the launch of Balancer's governance token, BAL. On June the 24th, Balancer posted a 235% gain after its first day of trading before similarly plummeting by two, uh, four, uh, sorry, 40%. MakerDAO's Maker token has also produced significant price action over the past month, gaining 100% from 360 to 720 before quickly crashing back to the mid 400s. Ah, God. So what's this piece of garbage at right now? Let's find out. I'm looking at trading view. Uh, it is trading at right at 230 bucks straight up. So man, you gamble with your money at your own risk, but I have read and read and read what I can about what comp actually is. And I keep thinking that it must be because I'm I'm just not smart enough to understand. But then I remember you're not and I'm not supposed to understand. That just the description is literally filled with recursion loans to yourself or something like that. It is bizarre. It 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 looks like so it's like something like going, you know, trying to get somebody to explain it to you who's trying to sell it to you and have them go you know, you, you, you're just not sophisticated enough to understand it. Oh, hell yes, we are. I said it on the show a couple of days ago. So when did finance become rocket science? You know, when was the handling of money, a technology developed so that any idiot could make and, and do trade with any other idiot? At what point did this technology become rocket science? And the, the answer is, is that it never did what happened is that assholes like the people behind compound token made you believe that you're too stupid to understand this shit and that you really just need to buy their dumbass tokens so that you can make the gains bro well we all see how that's working out and after this spike dies and it will and it'll go back down then i don't know god i i hope not but then i don't kraken will list it and then it will get a spike and the people that hold the token that are that all they do is watch this shit. They don't have any other life. They can't go fishing. They can't go, you know, playing a, a dune buggy or something like that because they have to sit in front of a screen and figure out when the next listing is going to occur so that they can dump it at the top. That's all that this shit is. It's just a massive pump and dump. So again, beware. Uh, Chamath Apalihapitiya, or however you pronounce his name, he's the, I think he's the CTO over there at Tesla or SpaceX or whatever. Anyway, let's, let's do this one. This is about him. Daily Hodel staff writing this one today for the Daily Hodel. Billionaire Chamath, whatever his last name is, says he bought 1 million BTC in 2013. Not a million dollars worth. 1 million BTC in 2013 warns Bitcoin success will spell global economic catastrophe. Chamath, what's his name, views Bitcoin as financial doomsday insurance. The 43-year-old billionaire venture capitalist and chairman of spaceflight company, oh, Virgin Galactic, that's it, says on the Unchained podcast that investors should apportion 1% of their portfolio to BTC and hope it never pays off. Quote, I just think that if people have been hardworking with their heads down, they should have an opportunity to make sure that they don't get wiped out if the government itself just continues to make a string of bad decisions 
that then have rising consequences. And Bitcoin, to me, is the only thing I've seen so far that is really fundamentally uncorrelated to that decision-making process and to that decision-making body. Because at the end of the day, any other asset class, equities, debt, real estate, commodities, they're all tightly, tightly coupled to a legislative framework and an interconnectedness in the financial markets that brings together many of the governments that are sort of behaving this way. And so it's almost like a bet against the ruling class in some ways and making sure that you have a small amount of insurance. Insurance is something that pays off 1000 bucks to a buck. You want these massive, massive asymmetric payoffs because you want to be sure that a small amount of insurance can basically make you whole. And that's why I think that you should just take 1% of your portfolio, put it into Bitcoin, never look at it, and hope that 1% goes to zero. Really. And hope that that 1% goes to zero. Oh, man. His What's-his-face's last name recently made headlines criticizing the United States government's coronavirus bailout. He called on lawmakers to let hedge funds and billionaires get wiped out instead. The venture capitalist notes that while Bitcoin is a good hedge against traditional assets, investing in the cryptocurrency is not a strategy that will pay off due to a single event or moment in time. Rather, he says Bitcoin's success will rely on the sum of many bad decisions by governments, an outcome he says no one should want to happen. Quote, if your Bitcoin bet pays off, it will be cataclysmically destructive for the world, and that'll have enormous consequences to many people we all know and care about who weren't hedged in Bitcoin. And so you almost don't want it to happen. End quote. His last name doesn't really see any other path to Bitcoin success other than that complete financial breakdown. He believes there are much easier to use products that will serve as virtual payment mechanisms. He also says his first investment in Bitcoin was a purchase of 1 million BTC back in 2013 when the cryptocurrency was valued at around $80. Today, the sum is worth more than $9 billion. Quote, <laughs> there's a well-known person in the Bitcoin e- ecosystem. His name is Wences Cesaris. He was, one of, he was the one that introduced it to me in 2010, and we were actually going to Las Vegas for his 40th birthday, and that's when he pitched me on it. And I remember landing three days later, called my family office and said, buy a million Bitcoin. <clears throat> that, that's how it started. It was 80 bucks or something at the time, and it just sounded kind of really interesting. But then it took me a few years to really understand it. I didn't totally understand all of the mechanics of it, And to be honest with you, I've forgotten most of the mechanics now. I've studied it. I made an underwriting decision to buy and to never think about it again. And by and large, I've never thought about it again. I remember my family office flipped out when Bitcoin was 20 grand a coin. They were like, uh, and I was like, guys, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Just take it off the balance sheet. Don't ever look at it. Keep it at the cost and don't get psychologically affected by this number. I'm just going to call straight up bullshit. Uh, I'm like, he has, unless he proves that he bought a million uh, Bitcoin at 80 bucks a coin. uh, I don't believe that he'd have to prove it to me. Uh, I mean, honestly, he'd, he'd literally have to prove it. And I don't really care that much about this dude proving it because what he's saying about hoping that it goes to zero is the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. And it doesn't have to be Bitcoin for somebody to say some stupid shit like that that would make me say that it's stupid shit. Buy, hedge Tesla and hope that it goes to zero so that all those people can lose their jobs. Hope Bitcoin goes to zero so that all cryptocurrencies will go to zero because that's exactly what will happen. 
and all of the industry gets wiped out. All the people that have, you know, spent the last five years building hardware wallets, you know, uh, making, you know, media companies about it. And, you know, the yeah, screw the entire industry because you hope that what has been screwing us for over a hundred years stays around. Honestly, I'm not sure if this dude is right in his head. I mean, just from a sheer logic standpoint, it just seems like a very it's, I mean, it's unappealing, of course, but it doesn't sound very logical at all. Why would you spend $80 million in hopes that, and hope that it goes to zero? Would you do that with anything? It's just the dumbest freaking thing I've ever, whatever. <clears throat> Elusive demographic finally beginning to invest in Bitcoin, reports River Financial, Daily Hodel staff writing this for Daily Hodel sometime yesterday. Bitcoin financial services firm River Financial says an elusive demographic of investors is starting to invest in BTC. This year, River Financial says baby boomers are showing significantly more interest in cryptocurrencies. The firm says it saw a two-fold increase in its client base for each month in 2020 driven by new cryptocurrency investors over the age of 55. The firm's average monthly volume of Bitcoin transactions also rose by about 80%, with boomers accounting for 77% of the volume growth since March. Baby boomers, who were born anytime between 1946 and 1964, currently hold more than half of household wealth in the United States. In 2019, a survey showed that only 29% in this age group think that crypto will be widely accepted in the next decade. River Financial Chief Executive Alex Leishman says Bitcoin has become increasingly accepted as an asset class. In May, hedge fund legend Paul Tudor Jones, yeah, we know the story, revealed he is buying Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation and even compared the king coin to the gold trade of the 1970s. In an interview with Bloomberg, Leishman also partly attributed the growth of the firm's BTC transactions to the Fed's unlimited money printing policy, also known as, quote, the surging activity we've seen since the beginning of 2020 has been, in part, inspired by the Federal Reserve's unprecedented monetary intervention just flipping the switches on the printers and let the money printer go burr. Australians can now pay for Bitcoin at the post office. Adrian Zmunsky is writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday. Australians can now deposit money for a local Bitcoin exchange at the post office. <clears throat> According to a June 21st announcement, customers of local cryptocurrency exchange, bitcoin.com.au. Oh God, I'm sorry guys, but it's in the news. We're, we're going to have to, we're going to have to do it. So let's see if there is actually, if it's actual Bitcoin or if it's going to be Bcash. Let's find out. <clears throat> we'll be able to pay for Bitcoin at more than 3,500 Australian post offices. The firm CEO Holger Arians explained that he believes the new payment option will make some people more comfortable with buying crypto. Quote, for many people, paying for Bitcoin at an Australian post office feels safer than transferring funds online, particularly for first-time buyers. We're proud of this partnership and would like to thank Australia Post for their continued openness to new technologies. Bitcoin.com.au customers were already able to pay for Bitcoin at 1,500 retail outlets in the Blue Shift payment network founded by Synthetics Kane Warwick. Blue Shift also services numerous other exchanges. An increasing number of physical locations are now offering the opportunity of customers to acquire cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin automated teller machines recently crossed the milestone of 8,000 units installed worldwide. Cointelegraph reported that it is now possible to buy Bitcoin for cash 
at more than 20,000 retail locations across the United States, including 7-Elevens, CVSs, and Rite Aids. In September last year, all 7-Eleven stores across the Philippines started selling crypto. At the beginning of 2019, a number of French tobacco shops did the same. So yeah, that is a hell of an increase. Now, let's let's just look at something here for a second. Uh, I want to go to bitcoin.com.au and see what it actually, what the page actually says. Because uh, I am I am not aware whether or not this is uh, Roger Ver's outfit or not, and I suspect that it is, but I'm not seeing I'm not seeing any I'm not seeing any references. Yeah, I don't think this is. I'm because I'm not seeing any references whatsoever to bit uh, to Bcash. What I am seeing on Bitcoin.com.au is a screen on it that says, or like a little window, uh, a little drop down, it says one B gives the price of one BTC, not BCH. And then if uh, it gives a little calculator, if I were to enter an amount in Australian dollars, it would receive, uh, allow me to purchase whatever amount in BTC, and I can actually create that order here. So Given what we know about Roger Ver, I'm not exactly certain that this is this thing is owned by Roger Ver. So good, good on you for that one right there. Let's move on. Uh, Daily Hodel staff writing this one for Daily Hodel. Venezuela reportedly accepting Bitcoin BTC as payment option for passport renewals and extensions. This was written yesterday. Venezuelan citizens who are abroad can reportedly use Bitcoin to pay for passport services. According to BTC transaction images posted on Twitter by Ronnie Martinez, an engineer who hosts an academic YouTube channel, the Venezuelan government is allowing Bitcoin as a payment option for passport renewals and extensions via its online immigration platform, SAME, which stands for Administrative Services for Identification, Migration, and Foreigners. It's Spanish. What are you going to do? While same has not officially confirmed Bitcoin as a payment method for passport services, images from the online portal show BTC as an option, along with the upcoming tab for uh, payments via credit cards such as Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. Credit card payments were previously accepted, but appear to be unsupported at time of writing. Same allows users to complete their cryptocurrency payments in eight minutes. The notice reads, quote, Dear user, you selected payment with cryptocurrencies. Please keep in mind that you will have eight minutes to complete the transaction. So we recommend that you have your payment method on hand and facilitate the process without problems. Thanks for your understanding. Venezuela's different payment options for government services, which appear to come and go, highlight the country's economic woes and ongoing struggles with hyperinflation. Bitcoin transaction volume in Venezuela on peer-to-peer crypto exchange local bitcoins has continued to soar, reaching an all-time high for the week, ending June 6 with 997.7 billion bolivars. According to data tracker Coindance or Coin.dance, 959.1 billion Venezuelan bolivar were exchanged on local bitcoins for the week ending June 20th, which is up 4.41% from 918.6 billion bolivar for BTC the previous week. So who knows, man? But there, I saw a lot of um, I saw a lot of chatter yesterday about this, and it appears that they're using BTC Pay Server, which is means that whoever 
whoever convinced the immigration services to do this not only knows what's going on, but also knows which is the best, most, the least likely to get sanctioned because of United, United States government actions. And the one, the only one in my mind that can basically guarantee you that you will never be sanctioned by any government in, in the world is BTC pay server, because it's the money you pay to yourself as Paul Krugman would butcher. I'm sure. But in, if you don't know about BTC pay server, uh, just Google it, BTC pay server. Uh, and then also, you know, Google Nicholas Dorier cause he was the one that famously got really pissed off at a former Bitcoin company, which I do not consider a Bitcoin company anymore, nor will I utter their blasphemous name. Uh, he famously tweeted out that, uh, they're telling lies and he was going to obsolete them. And he's well on the path of doing that. Because nobody's going to use that. I mean, Venezuela is not using that service. They decided to use Nicholas Dorier's uh, or Dorier's, uh, however you pronounce his name, uh, system, which is you can get if you can get it with MyNode. If you go and, and buy the uh, the software from MyNode or download it, it comes with BTC Pay Server, so you can run a BTC Pay Server alongside of a full Bitcoin node, a full Lightning node. And you have a full implementation of BTC Pay Server all on a four gigabyte Raspberry Pi, which I I have one and it's sitting in my corner, chugging away. I mean, if cops came in and looked at it, they really wouldn't know what the hell it was. So, yeah. So even Venezuela or some people in Venezuela, even they know to use BTC Pay Server. Okay, in the annals. In, of the circus that is Craig Wright's life in court, we have, ugh, it's gross. Judge accepts Craig Wright's autism defense, says no to sanctions. <laughs> Turner Wright is writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday. A judge ruled against the Kleeman legal team's motion to impose sanctions on Craig Wright, and the case has been cleared to go to trial. Craig Wright, the man who proclaims himself Satoshi Nakamoto, will not be subject to court sanctions and has been cleared to present an expert witness in support of his autism claim when the Kleeman case proceeds to jury trial in two weeks. is I mean, I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of it, but really? After all this, I'm, 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 I'm honestly surprised. I did not see this one coming. I, I didn't. So. We enter into a new chapter of befuddlement. Uh, according to court documents filed June the 24th, U.S. District Judge Beth Bloom has ruled against a motion the Kleeman legal team filed on May the 21st requesting sanctions be imposed rather than proceeding to trial. In response to their claims, Wright committed perjury, produced forgeries, and engaged in judicial abuse. Though Judge Bloom concedes the Kleeman team had raised allegations of unsettling issues concerning Wright's credibility and behavior, she ultimately ruled that all the claims, quote, are best suited for a jury to make as fact finder at trial, end quote, and are not a reason for the court to impose sanctions. In response to the modified omnibus motion put forth by Kleeman's legal team in May, Wright followed with a motion of his own requesting a licensed clinical psychologist appear as an expert witness. Wright said his witness had diagnosed him with autism spectrum disorder with high intellectual skills. Jesus, the narcissism is always the same. 
which needed to be taken into account when addressing his somewhat inconsistent statements to the court. Under Judge Bloom's uh, ruling, Wright's autism defense is cleared to proceed at this point. He says the psychologist could provide testimony showing how his condition could be incorrectly perceived as having provided untruthful testimony, such as providing an incomplete or false list of Bitcoin addresses. Bitcoin SV's billionaire benefactor Calvin Ayer tweeted his support for Wright, of course, following the judge's decision, claiming Kleeman's lawyers had attempted to short-circuit the trial, but the ruling would allow Craig to get his day in court. Ayer has a history of making colorful statements when it comes to Wright. During earlier court proceedings in August, he tweeted that a different judge presiding over the case had decided Wright was Bitcoin's creator, Satoshi Nakamoto. The judge had made no such ruling. The, the legal case involves Wright and the estate of his alleged partner, former or former partner Dave Kleeman, being represented by his brother Ira and financially supported by a litigation funder. So, autism defense, yo. I mean, we got the Chewbacca defense. We got the non-glove fitting defense. Uh, if, if, if the glove don't fit, you shall acquit. That was the whole O.J. Simpson thing. Now we have an autism defense. I I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm I'm honestly surprised. So they're gonna bring on a guy to say that for as as long as this guy is if it's this guy, if it's this guy who's lying, it's okay because he has autism and I call bullshit. You still have to fuck an adult. You still do. Whether you're I mean the only person that that honestly, the only person that that, that may not be able to adult by themselves is like uh trisomy 21 uh down syndrome and it has to be pretty damn severe because i've met some people that are down like full-blown down syndrome and they're able to do quite a bit on their own and you know what they don't do though I, i've never seen one lie they're deceptive i mean they're they're just very honest i was about to say deceivingly honest but that's that's a terrible phrase <clears throat> i mean this guy, though, is just a lying sack of shit. He's a shitbag. And now he's going to try to pull a psychologist into the mix to say it's okay for him to lie. Because he's got autism with, what, high intellectual skills. You know how the other, the, the way that you actually put that is autism spectrum disorder, high functioning. That's what it's supposed to be, but high intellectual skills, I think, was fabricated by Wright because he is an ego-driven narcissist. So there you go, man. There you go. Circles USDC ends its monogamous relationship with Ethereum. Oh, everybody hates Ethereum except for the ETH heads. They'll figure it out sooner or later. Alexander Behrens is or Behrens is writing this one on the 24th for Decrypt.co. USDC is breaking away from Ethereum exclusivity to bring the stablecoin to Algorand with more blockchains to come. Yay! Uh, USDC is breaking up with Ethereum, or at the very least, it's time to start seeing other blockchains. Center, the collaboration between Coinbase and Circle that administers the USDC stablecoin, announced Wednesday a framework for multi-chain support for USDC. Algorand will be the first non-Ethereum blockchain to deploy support for USDC, the first in what's likely to be a long line of protocols interested in integrating the world's second most popular stablecoin. 
In the announcement, Center indicated that Algorand was chosen as the first to integrate USDC because the project is optimized for high-volume financial applications. Circle will operate a token bridge, allowing USDC on Algorand to be swamped with ERC-20 USDC tokens on the Ethereum blockchain. As with all USDC, the stablecoins on the Algorand protocol will be backed by fiat reserves. USDC has become a popular and important stablecoin asset. In the Ethereum ecosystem, it was used to help stabilize the Maker Protocol following the March 2020 crypto crash, officially accepted for tax payments in Bermuda, and has helped facilitate margin trading on Binance and other uh, casinos. Well, they say exchanges, but it's really a casino. As more financial institutions and enterprises look to build decentralized financial applications, they need a well-suited infrastructure and a compliant, regulated, and widely accepted stablecoin, Algorand Foundation COO Fang Fang Chen said in a press release, quote, We are excited to partner with Circle to provide financial institutions with the tools they need to leverage the unique benefits of USDC and offer enterprise-grade solutions to build real-world use cases. The story of USDC has also become something of a cautionary tale for the concerns surrounding centralized assets, even if they are pegged to the world's reserve currency. In October of 2019, Coinbase started offering rewards for storing USDC in Coinbase accounts that were comparable to interest rates from some of the legacy banking systems or banking industry's most generous participants. Eight months later, reward rates were unceremoniously slashed nearly 90%, with only a day's warning leaving many USDC loyalists scratching their heads. Despite a rocky start, Algorand has landed partnerships in a variety of industries such as real estate, gaming, and social media. In the announcement, a center called for additional interested blockchain projects to reach out to discuss implementation of the new multi-chain framework, but did not disclose any additional existing or upcoming partnerships. (coughs) Earlier this year, Tether was also added to the Algorand blockchain. So shitcoinery squared at at minimum shitcoinery squared. It's just, but you got to know that this shit is going on so that you can be aware that an entire seething industry that sort of is in the middle of, uh, I hate to say it this way, but in the middle, right in the middle between blockchain and fiat and actual Bitcoin, there's this seething sea that's starting to fill up with stable coins pegged to either real shitty fiat money or real shitty other cryptocurrencies, or real shitty other stable coins. And so what I suspect will happen is that after a bunch of pegs break, they will just decide to peg to Bitcoin. And Bitcoin will become the reserve currency probably first for stable coins. And then fiat will peg to stable coins. And then at one point or another, people will ask why they even need the middleman, and fiats will probably just peg to the Bitcoin. I, I mean, honestly, because none of the other shit makes sense. I mean, in the middle of this sea, you get stuff like compound token. You get DeFi. That's where you're getting, I mean, that, it, that, all that stuff is being born out of this sea of crap that is forming in, in the margins between all these different things. And it's going to get people wrecked. So, I don't know what to tell you, but that's one of the reasons why I read some of this stuff that is not generally Bitcoin related, because be prepared, man. Your people are going to tweet at you and 
friends are going to go, what do you think about this, this stable coin? And you got to be prepared for what it is that they're hearing because these people have marketing budgets. It's sad, but they do. And it's going to get people really wrecked. And speaking of wrecked, let's see what's going on with financial news. Wow, man, I'm looking at uh, legacy, legacy markets in it. You want to talk about meh. My God, S&P 500 is up 0.03. It was literally flat just a second ago. At zero, it was changed with 0.00. And it's like this everywhere. NASDAQ up 0.09. Dow Jones up 0.07. The FTSE is up 0.3 with the big winner. Nikkei is down like, you know, one and two tenths. Hang Sang is down half a point. It's just, God, again, talk about meh. And bonds, uh, it's the same shit. Everything is down except the Japan 10-year, but they're all down by probably something that wouldn't wouldn't go over, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, margin of error. Oil and all the rest. Well, natural gas got, apparently got bitch slapped, but everything else is meh again. Uh, it looks like it got 6.2% shaved off of it. It has gone down to $1.5 for 1,000 cubic feet. Wow. Again, everything else is just complete meh. Bitcoin is at 9,100. Oh, I'm sorry. It just changed 9,280 bucks. It looks like the high is going to be over at bid asset at $9,318. And we do have a low at uh, Coinbase Pro is coming in at 9,221. 308,000 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours. That gives us about 13,000 transactions on average per hour. 1.25 million BTC have been sent in that 24-hour period, and that represents about 52,200 BTC being sent on average per hour, with 4 BTC being the average transaction value, and 0.051 BTC being the median transaction value. That's about $477.50. Block time, smidge high. It's not really high. It's 10 minutes and 8 seconds. Uh, 0.28 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis and 40.36 BTC have been taken overall in the last 24 hours. Minus 5% on the hash rate brings us down to 113.6 exahashes per second. The last time nobody did anything for Bitcoin core repository on GitHub was sometime yesterday. Ethereum is at 235. Bitcoin Cash is at 234. BSV is at a 100 or 172 and a half bucks. Litecoin is at 42.75. Ethereum Classic is at 6.18. Doge holding it 0.0024. And at 43,000 transactions uh, for the day, it is walking all over, uh, as usual, Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and Bcash, which is has precipitously fallen off of its transactions in, on average. We're looking at, now we're looking at 12,105 transactions 
I'm going to go, I need to look at something. I'm looking at the Bitcoin cash transaction historical chart on the three month chart. And generally, well, let me see, let me look at it on the six months. So starting on, let's go back all the way to January of this year, January, 2020. Uh, it was down to 15,000 uh, transactions on the day, but it's, but generally speaking, its average is about a little above 40,000 transactions. But for the longest time, I think this is going to be, let's see if I get a day on this. From, the, from June 9th to now, the average transactions are like, like 12,000. So that chain, unless they buy somebody to, you know, pay somebody to do some transactions for them, that's a dead chain, man. And, uh, and we don't even talk about BSV, so don't worry about that one. Mempool from Clark Moody Bitcoin. Clark Moody is showing 9,361 in his mempool uh, transactions. <clears throat> that is about 14 and a half megabytes, and it's going to take 15 blocks to clear that out. We have in Lightning Network 953 and a half BTC, giving us $8.81 million in liquidity spread across 7,250 nodes that we can see and uh, 36,526 channels. Tor capacity is holding it at 45.8%. That's 436.21 BTC. And that is spread across 200 or 2,102 nodes. Although I'm still kind of always wondering if they're on tour, tour, how do you know? Unless they're broadcasting. Hey, you can't see me. I don't know. Yeah, it's confusing. Whatever. That's going to do it for Bio. Wirecard. Uh, let's get it. Let's do it, man. I talked about it yesterday and we are here. We're right back here with some more Wirecard stuff. Andrei Shevchenko writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime earlier this morning. Treble debt card issuer Wirecard files for insolvency. Sell, sell, sell. Damn, Skippy, sell, sell, sell. Wirecard is now filing for insolvency as a sudden $2.1 billion hole in its balance sheet wipes out 32% of the supposed assets owned by the company. <laughs> Troubled fintech company Wirecard, which powers much or many of the crypto debit cards on the market, has reportedly filed to open insolvency proceedings. As reported by Wall Street Journal and others, Wirecard filed an application with the Munich District Court to begin preparing for insolvency resolution procedures. The company cited its, quote, impending insolvency and over-indebtedness as motivation for the filing, alluding to the $2.1 billion of its balance sheet that went missing. It just went missing. You know, just whoop, gone. Events unfolded quickly for Wirecard since discovering that 32% of its balance sheet never existed. The company quickly became leaderless as the founding CEO and other top executives resigned, with the former subsequently being arrested on Tuesday. Calling for insolvency implies that the company is unable to meet its debt obligations in the short term, either due to negative cash flow or a negative asset balance or negative net asset balance. Given the scope of the incident, this appears to be the case of the latter. According to its latest financial filing in 2018, the company has a net income of about $350 million, though given recent history, investors may want to take a closer look at the numbers. 
During insolvency procedures, companies will generally enact drastic measures to stay afloat, such as cutting staff and expenses, restructuring debt, selling a portion of its asset, and others. Bankruptcy occurs when the company is completely unable to pay its debt obligations. While insolvency is a prerequisite of that, it does not indicate complete failure of the company. As Cointelegraph previously mentioned, Wirecard is the issuer of many crypto debit cards, including those of Crypto.com, CryptoPay, some WireX cards, and 10X. So, yeah, that, that happened fast. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Pardon me. That happened real fast. So, apparently, they went from, oh my God, where did the money go to automatically filing insolvency with, I mean... You'd think that they would have taken some time for a full investigation, although I suspect that many of them knew that this shit was already there and that any delays would put them in further danger, so hence they go right into insolvency. Oh well, I mean, this is what you do when, when you're thieves and, and you know have no ethics or moral, moral compass. Bitcoin ATM growth may be a boon for money launderers. Coindesk shitting all over Bitcoin again today, or uh, this would be yesterday, June the 24th. Let's see who's writing this great thing. Oh, yes, Patty Baker. And normally I'm, I kind of like Patty, but this one, I don't know, man. Sounds like fear, uncertainty, and doubt to me. As the numbers of Bitcoin ATMs soar, one crypto analytics firm suggests they are increasingly, increasingly being used to sidestep anti-money laundering controls. In its spring report published earlier this month, analytics company CypherTrace found Bitcoin ATMs were frequently used to send funds to high-risk exchanges, trading platforms the company considers to be known for facilitating criminal activity and money laundering. Where's the, the, where's the child slavery stuff? Because isn't it, it's always for the children. Quote, the percentage of funds sent to high-risk exchanges from the United States BATMs, or Bitcoin ATMs, has seen exponential growth doubling every year since 2017, the report reads. While approximately 2% of U.S. transactions went to high-risk exchanges in 2017, that number is now knocking at the 8% mark. While they may somewhat resemble a cash-based machine, a Bitcoin ATM enables people to buy and sell Bitcoin as well as other cryptocurrencies directly from an exchange using bank cards or even hard cash. Crucially, users don't need to have a digital wallet. The machines create them, providing users with printouts of the wallet addresses and private keys. God, that scared the piss out of me. CypherTrace also highlighted that the vast majority of U.S. Bitcoin ATM transactions in 2019, around 88%, sent funds to offshore destinations. Quote, Bitcoin ATMs are likely to be the next major regulatory target, the report predicts. This coincides with an explosion of the number of new Bitcoin ATMs coming to market globally. There are roughly 60% more installed now than there were this time last year, according to Coin ATM Radar. The current figure of over 8,300 machines is up from around 5,000 in June of 2019. What's also interesting is the rate of installations has doubled since the start of 2020, while around 1,000 more were added between June and December of 2019. In the past six months or so, another 2,000 new ATMs have gone online since March alone. More than 1,000 new ATMs have been installed. Around about 100 more have come online in the last week alone. Roughly 6,200, two-thirds of total units, are in the United States, according to Coin ATM Radar. As recently as Monday, 
Bitcoin ATM operator Liberty X said users would also be able to purchase Bitcoin from over 20,000, sorry, 20,000 retail locations across the U.S., including from the 7-Eleven convenience store chain. Bitcoin ATM operators insist they are all or doing all they can to follow regulations. ATM services in the United States must sign up with the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, as a money service business and are supposed to keep records of their transactions, follow know your customer protocols, and report anything suspicious to the authorities. <coughs> Man, I, something must have blown in last night. Sorry. Liberty X co-founder and CEO Chris Yim said customers had to complete various KYC checks on their app before they could use the terminals. The ATMs also require the user provide a wallet address and a verified purchase location before the Bitcoin is even sent. CoinSource, which owns and operates just under 500 such ATMs across the United States, has also emphasized his commitment to ensuring it has the, all the right protections in place. Quote, compliance is key. Once we learned how important compliance was, <laughs> we obviously invested heavily in building our AML and KYC program and then staffing it correctly with experts that could support us in the venture, said CEO Sheffield Clark in late 2018. But there are still some that don't comply. Back in August of 2019, a 25-year-old Bitcoin trader in Los Angeles pleaded guilty for not registering his Bitcoin ATM business with FinCEN and for laundering up to $25 million worth of funds for criminals, including drug dealers. Quote, Bitcoin ATMs are likely to be the next major regulatory target, end quote. That, we've heard it before, but it bears mentioning again, because that one they're probably right about. Also, last year, police in Spain reported a local criminal gang involved in the international narcotics trade had effectively bypassed European AML controls by laundering cash through two Bitcoin ATMs and used the clean crypto to pay suppliers in Colombia. Speaking to Coindesk, Tom Robinson Co-founder and chief scientist at analytics company Ecliptic said the passing of FATF guidance dubbed the travel rule last year means that stronger AML KYC requirements for crypto businesses are now being implemented around the world. Ecliptic or Elliptic, sorry, Elliptic is working with many Bitcoin ATM operators who have concerns their terminals are being used for money laundering, Robinson said. And while regulation is gradually being implemented, he still has concerns about how well some of this will apply to Bitcoin ATMs. Quote, the situation is certainly improving, but it will take time to ensure that these measures are applied globally, he said. For Liberty X's YIM, Bitcoin ATM operators still have to make a choice on how closely they want to protect user privacy while remaining regulatory compliant. Quote, what I see is a risk spectrum across competitive markets. Some BTM operators are okay with potential increased regulatory scrutiny, end quote, said YIM. But he also said it's a fine balance between respecting users' privacy and staying proactive on compliance. Honestly, I just, I, I mean, I, it's probably good to know, but Coindesk is, has this nasty habit of shitting all over Bitcoin, um, especially when the price is, you know, starts to see a decline. You can always kind of count on, on Coindesk to run FUD articles. Now, is this complete FUD? Probably not. That statement of, we'll see, where is it? Bitcoin ATMs are likely to be the next major regulatory target. I 100% believe that that is in fact the case. And if you are an ATM regulator or an ATM company, Bitcoin ATM company rather, 
hold on to your ankles, man, because you're going to get screwed. And, and you in turn, unless you want to go do something else, you're going to have to screw your customers. You will, you will have no choice or you will be given a nice fancy federal ankle bracelet and you'll either be at home with it or you'll be at some fancy federal country club and they probably don't let you play golf. New bill to outlaw encryption without government backdoor is in the United States Senate. Michael Kapelkov is writing for Cointelegraph yesterday. Three Republican senators introduced a bill to end warrant-proof encryption on June the 23rd. Good Lord. It invokes national security as a pretext for requiring device manufacturers and service providers to assist law enforcement by providing access to encrypted data. Good luck with that. Because I can run BTC Pay Server on a $50 Raspberry Pi. Good luck. I mean, honestly, good luck. And if for whatever reason, it looks like if that were able to actually work, you can bet your bottom dollar that people are going to be buying Raspberry Pis out the ass. And by the way, this isn't this type of shit is another reason why you want smaller blocks. You do not want great big ass bloated blocks that you can target from 12,000 miles away with a Tomahawk cruise missile. You want something that's so small you can barely see it. You want something so small that it passes for noise on people's radar. That's why you want the smaller blocks. I'm just saying, I mean, this, this, is, this literally is one of the reasons why for a little while, for just a little while, even I bought into the bullshit of not S2X. It was kind of before the whole S2X thing happened, but it was an increase in the block size as long as SegWit was going to be installed. But this was like two years before it really got bad. This was like, they were talking about that shit in 20... I want to say 2016, and then it was 2017, I think. Around, so it was about a year I was hearing it before. So for a little while, I bought into that until I started thinking just how important it is to have something that looks like it may just be a data leak. You know, it's it's a one, one megabyte is nothing, man. It Like at this point, you know, this far down the line in internet traffic sizes, one megabyte is freaking nothing dude. But, uh, a terabyte block would be, you could target that. You would know what that is with this raspberry Pi and a shitty ass internet connection is all you need for this network, for the Bitcoin network, the actual Bitcoin network to work. Anything else, all the, the big block guys, this, if this were to happen and I don't think it will, but even if a fraction of this actually comes to fruition, you're going to want the smallest block you can get. And I guarantee you, Luke Dash Jr., who's screaming for 300 kilobyte blocks, is going to start screaming for 300 kilobyte blocks uh, even louder than he ever has before. But let's finish this off. The Lawful Access to Encrypted Data Act is sponsored by Lindsey Graham, Tom Cotton, and Marsha Blackburn. Thank God none of these assholes are from Texas. According to GovTrack, all three senators score high on the conservativeness scale, with Blackburn receiving a perfect 1.1. Damn, Marsha. 
Holy shit. <laughs> Graham is also one of the sponsors of the Earn It Act, which many privacy advocates heavily criticize for what they perceived as encroaching on personal freedoms under the guise of protecting children from sexual abuse. How do you want that bullshit wrapped? We have uh, uh, we have terrorists on the left and we have uh, children, you know, sexual child exploration, uh, exploitation on the, on, on the right. Yeah, it's just ridiculous, man. It's always the same. It's always the same. It is not clear why Graham and his colleagues felt the need to propose a bill that on the surface seems to have similar goals as the Earn It Act, stripping the individuals of the right to use privacy-preserving technology while forcing technology companies to become even more responsive to the state's whims. Perhaps the idea is that at least one of the cards that pays or that the bill plays, national security or child welfare, will get the job done. Yeah, that's the, the wrapping paper right there. The press release says that the proposed legislation would bring an end to warrant-proof encryption devices, platforms, and systems, a debate that has raged for years. Also, it stresses that companies would be required to cooperate with the authorities only after a warrant is issued by the court. Quote, the bill would require service providers and device manufacturers to provide assistance to law enforcement when access to encrypted devices or data is necessary, but only after a court issues a warrant based on probable cause that a crime has occurred authorizing law enforcement to search and seize the data, end quote. If this bill ever gets passed, the crypto industry might be especially affected. Cryptographic algorithms are at the core of Bitcoin, BTC, and other cryptocurrencies. On the other hand, the decentralized nature of many projects in this space may make the industry better prepared. Cointelegraph reached out to some of the prominent members of the crypto community for commentary. Cornell University... Oh, God, here we go. Get get prepared, people. Cornell University professor and AVA co-founder Emin Gunsir answering whether AVA would implement a backdoor for government access said absolutely not. Yeah, right. Uh, he added that if it, this bill is passed and law enforcement it comes knocking on the door, he would sooner move his project overseas than succumb to pressure. Sear believes that such lawmaking initiatives hamper national security rather than fostering it. Quote, countless experts have made it clear time and time again that these ideas are misguided. These backdoors represent potential vulnerabilities and they hate American companies and American competitiveness. competitiveness. At the same time, they force the use of technologies such as VPNs that cause communication that poses a national security threat in aggregate to move overseas. He further noted that privacy-preserving technology is the essence of a blockchain. Quote, emerging technologies such as blockchains provide strong privacy guarantees built into their very fabric. At the forefront of these systems, AVA will reject every effort to build abuse-prone backdoors into its software. Cardano, or the ADA shitcoin founder Charles Hoskinson, expressed a similar sentiment. No, I will stop working on these systems if legally forced to do so. Please do, Charles. Please. For the love of God, get out. Roger Ver expressed skepticism that political laws have the power to solve what essentially is a math problem. <laughs> I gotta have to agree. Quote, to no amount of violence can solve a math problem. And I think that's a great way of looking at it, right? So politicians can pass all the bills they want, but it doesn't change the way math works. So no amount of political lawmaking or violence can solve a math problem. Let me stop right there to kind of you know, get wrap my head around the fact that for the first time in a long time, I actually agree 100% with Roger Ver. And that's hard to admit. But dude, honestly, 
No amount of violence can solve a math problem? Shit, dude, bro, that's meme-worthy right there. Meanwhile, Attorney General William P. Barr issued a statement strongly supporting the act. Of course you would. Pointing out that warrant-proof encryption allows criminals to operate with impunity and that, given the COVID-19 lockdown, it could not be timelier. Oh, God. Really? Quote, the danger is particularly great for children who are targeted online for sexual exploitation, especially during this time of coronavirus lockdown. Survivors of child sexual abuse and their families have pleaded with technology companies to do more to prevent predators from exploiting their platforms to harm children. We cannot allow these companies to elevate their profits and the privacy rights of their abusers over the safety and security of children. It's the children, y'all. It's the fucking children, and you don't give a shit about the child. I'm sorry, but William Barr and all the rest of these assholes could not give shit one about your fucking children. They want control. That's all they want, and they will lie right to your face to get it. Does that mean that I'm a Democrat? No, I hate Democrats too. Sorry, it's it's not even that I hate them. It's like, I don't give a shit about any of these parties because, honestly, I don't see a difference. I do not see any difference whatsoever between, well, you know what I'm saying. But this whole child exploitation and or terrorism, money money laundering apparently only, only affects terrorism. Hell, I haven't heard them talk about drugs, you know, this much in years. You know, oh my God, you're going to, you're going to enable the the drug lords. No, it's just, it's like they're bored or they're, or lazy and they can only come, they can only really remember two, which, whichever one, child exploitation, uh, child exploitation or uh, terrorism. Drugs, apparently. What in it? The light to end this this sentence is the ending sentence. It says the likelihood of this bill passing will be greatly impacted by November elections. Okay, look, this would be you know like I grew up relatively conservative, you know, but my dad was you know like private first class you know Marine Corps, right? And I mean he was a businessman. It clearly he's going to lean you know especially during the seventies and the eighties. Of course he was going to lean on the side of the Republican Party. And I have for years, you know, I'm honestly, that's sort of where, where I am. But now I'm looking at Republicans like going, my God, you're acting just like the Democrats in the seventies. There's no freedom. You're not allowing us to do a damn thing. You want to take almost everything. It just becomes, that's why I don't see any great differences. Right? So at this point, it may be worth my while to call up my state or my representatives in Congress who are, as far as I can tell, they're all Republican right now and tell them that, you know, I'd be lying because I, I just don't give a shit at this point, but I just tell them it's like, if this thing even gets considered and if I see, not only if I see your name on it as a, for to, to pass to for further consideration, not only will I vote against you, I will flip Democrat. You know, you have somebody who's a lifelong Republican calling these guys and say, you'll flip Democrat. I, I Honestly, I kept thinking, I kept thinking to myself that maybe that would actually have some effect. But you know what? It's not. It's outside of my circle of influence. I mean, it's my, it, that's like well within the furthest circle that I can even, re- the circle of impactfulness, the one that impacts me, not the one that I impact. That's where this shit lies. They're not going to care. They're just not. However, I think it would be hilarious if everybody 
just like said, you know, it called out their people and said, I'm just going to flip Democrat. If you guys even consider this just, just, to, just to, if, if for no other reason than just to troll and meet space, man, I mean, why not? Bitcoin joins in DeFi yield farming frenzy. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it does not. Defiant, the defiant, writing this for decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Synthetics, Curve, and Ren have teamed up to launch Bitcoin liquidity incentives. The program combines three Ethereum-based flavors of Bitcoin. It's not Bitcoin. It's not. DeFi yield farming is pushing composability to its limits, Synthetics Curve and Ren have teamed up to launch BTC liquidity incentives using Curve's low slippage pools. The program combines three Ethereum-based flavors of Bitcoin, Ren BTC, Wrapped BTC, and SBTC, to provide seamless swaps between the rising wrappers, backed by 10, 10K SNX and 25K Ren worth of weekly incentives. Those who provide liquidity can stake their LP tokens via Mentor to claim a pro. A Pro rata portion of the rewards, and it's already making my stomach turn. But the fun doesn't stop there, y'all. Synthetics and Ren have teamed up to issue those Cynics and Ren rewards in the form of balancer pool tokens. Oh, joy. Meaning LPs are also earning BAL from liquidity mining, as if that wasn't enough. Contributors will also earn Curve's soon-to-be-announced governance token, CRV, which will take into account pre-existing positions upon launch. Best of all, with all three wrappers essentially pegged one-to-one, there's no risk of impermanent loss. What the, what the hell is risk of impermanent loss? Impermanent. I-M-P-E-R-M-A-N-E-N-T. Honestly, really? A major reason why synthetics S-E-T- slash ETH Uniswap liquidity incentives became so popular. Paired with the Ren Bridge for permissionless Bitcoin on-ramps, the ability to put your capital to work in DeFi has never been more attractive. This is just a freaking advertisement, y'all. To get started, head over to Curve's newly deployed SBTC pool and deposit any amount of Ren BT. You know what? This was actually written f- apparently for the Defiant by a guy named Cooper Turley. I'm not even going to read the rest of it because I'm really disappointed in Decrypt that put this thing up as news and not an advertisement. It actually says Decrypt news under coins. This is not news. What this is, is an advertisement to get you to lose your Bitcoin. This is all crap. There is nothing about this that makes any sense. And anybody who comes at me and says you're just too stupid to understand it is going to be met with a mute. I'm sorry, because I I just don't have time for this stupid bullshit. Again, this goes back to a working theory that I'm developing, or at least a working question that will lead one day to a theory as just when did technology that was meant to make interacting with each other easy, i.e. money, when did it become rocket science? And the answer is, it never did. It was all the side shit people tried to sell you throughout the years. Derivatives, synthetic derivatives, algorithmically based synthetic derivatives, whatever flavor of bullshit that they're feeding you is still bullshit. Don't buy it. 
just walk away. Bit license at five, despite architect Lasky's hopes, few states copied the New York rules. This was written uh, yesterday by Danny Nelson for Coindesk. Let's see if they're going to shit on Bitcoin in this one. As Benjamin Lasky, then the head of the New York State Department of Financial Services, was readying his cryptocurrency business licensing regime in October of 2014, he told a group of law students, it was highly likely other states would look to his proposal as a model for designing their own regulations. That's just what I expect a narcissist asshole to say. Lasky's reasoning was simple. New York had placed itself at the forefront of a new era in crypto oversight. With this bit license, which came online the following June, his department would set an example the entire country could follow. He was right. The states did look at the bit license, but seldom as the paragon it set out to be. Instead of setting a model, Lasky's NYDFS has created what legislatures and other states now consider a case study in how not to regulate an industry whose complex technical details can quickly confound overbroad and ill-defined rules as critics. And there are many allege of New York's bit license. <laughs> it's a poster child for stupid. Proponents may hail the bit license as a much needed sheriff for lawless crypto land and detractors may blast it as the Empire State's innovative or innovation death star, but not a single other state has enacted regulations that mimic the bit license in the half decade since New York's controversial crypto rules took effect. Quote, nobody copied the bit license, said Caitlin Long. <laughs> so that says a lot. The bit license, quote, was a good lesson learned on maybe something that doesn't work, said California Assembly Majority Leader Ian Calderson, uh, or sorry, Calderon. Calderon pointed out that only a handful of businesses have secured a bit license in its five-year history. For us in California and for myself, that wasn't a direction that we needed to go in. End quote. Lasky left NYDFS, <coughs> excuse me, in 2015 and later joined, you guessed it, crypto hedge fund manager, New York DIG, which received a bit license and a limited uh, purpose trust charter 11 months after his arrival. NYDIG holds two of the 25 virtual currency approvals ever handed out. Lasky did not return a Coindesk request for comment. Most everyone agrees with the BitLicense basic philosophy. It's better to raise some bumpers around this still young industry than to leave crypto operators completely to themselves. In that regard, New York has indeed impacted the trajectory of states' legislation. Rep. Mark Wright of the Louisiana House of Representatives called told Coindesk that New York demonstrated that it was safe to get in the water of regulating crypto businesses, which he believes will be a helpful step toward legitimizing the industry. If a state like New York could make the jump, then Louisiana could do it too, he said. I suggest that you don't do that, but whatever. But his successful bill, it comes into effect August the 1st, has more in common with the Model Virtual Currency Business Act published by the Uniform Law Commission than it does with the bit license. The VCBA is another example of standard-setting initiatives in the crypto space. According to Peter Van Valkenburg, Director of Research at the Crypto Advocacy Nonprofit Coin Center, it's an alternative, if you will, to the bit license approach, he said. Published in October of 2017, VCBA provides crypto-conscious lawmakers with a series of licensing definitions, consumer protections, investigatory protocols, and fee structures. It's a toolbox for building crypto license licensure regimes and possibly a unifying force if all 50 legislatures adopted it. Oh, God. That was enough to get Van Valkenburg and Coin Center's attention. 
Quote, we are worried VCBA would look like the bit license, he said. Virtual currency business activity, or sorry, a, a key aspect of their fear was how VCBA would define virtual currency business activity, one of Coin Center's arguments against the bit license. The bit license mandates that any person who, one, moves virtual currency for financial purposes, two, retains custody of other people's virtual currency, three, buys or sells virtual currency as a business, four, exchanges virtual currencies as a business, or five, controls business, sorry, controls, issues, or administers virtual currency must receive licensure to do so legally in the state of New York. Van Valkenburg argued this definition sweeps up activities. He said no business being regulated by the bit license, such as Lightning Network node runners, Bitcoin miners, and federated peg atomic swap members. If the ULC's model or model law followed bit license's sloppy definition, then he feared other states might also adopt the judicious rendering of virtual currency business activity. Van Valkenburg said he and Coin Center worked with the ULC drafting committee to ensure that VCBA deployed a far more limited, sorry, limited definition that he says really only relates to people who can actually on their own lose customer funds. That's important in avoiding the quadriga situation, he said. Even so, it's not clear. It, sorry, it's not as if a clear definition of business activity was one thing keeping the bit license from national proliferation. Lasky himself stressed in 2014 that NYDFS would most, uh, mostly focus on regulating businesses with custody over customers' funds. Only a handful of states have considered versions of VCBA and just two, Rhode Island and Louisiana have enacted even part of its language. In numbers alone, VCBA hardly sets more of a standard than the bit license. That neither the VCBA nor the bit license have substantially influenced state-level crypto regulation speaks to the relative unpopularity of the supposedly precedent-setting regulations, said Long, the Wyoming blockchain consultant. Talking about Caitlin Long there. She explained that representatives often look to larger states for precedence in part because most, as part-time lawmakers, lack the robust legislative research staffs their full-time counterparts from states such as California and New York can more readily afford. Only nine states have full-time legislatures, according to the National Conference of State Legislatures. Caitlin Long said, quote, What happens is that states will tend to copy each other's legislations precisely because they don't have their own staff. And so when one state takes the lead on something, the other states will frequently follow by copying it. And we've seen that many times with Wyoming laws, but nobody copied the bit license, end quote. Some tried. California lawmakers have considered multiple crypto bills. One even submitted a carbon copy of an early bit license draft, said Van Valkenburg, the Coin Center policy expert. But that 2015 effort quickly failed, as have almost all subsequent, subsequent California crypto initiatives. California also attempted to pass the VCBA recently. Calderon, the major majority leader, <clears throat> sponsored that sputtering bill, which he scaled back and redeployed in February as a push to exempt certain digital assets from the state securities law. The assembly passed that bill and it's now before the Senate quote. If you go too big sometimes on something that not too many people are comfortable with, you get nothing. And I want to get something rather than nothing. He said Calderon contrasted his securities exemption bill with the disaster of New York's bit license you know what's a disaster? I'm going to stop right there. Uh, how much? Yeah, okay, we, we can do the rest of it. But I want to stop right there to read that sentence again. 
in in response, it, being asked about him having to scale back a bill just to get it passed, he says, if you go too big sometimes on something that not too many people are comfortable with, you get nothing, and I want to get something rather than nothing. You know what that sentence actually means? And you should take this to the bank all the way from your local to your county to your state to your national government. These people are interested in having something that they wrote published into law rather than writing good laws, right? And good laws, the term good laws is kind of a, kind of a shitty term, but you know what I mean. You know exactly what I mean. He just wants to get something through so that he can look at his constituency and say, see what I did? I did this. And I'm tired of having the entire country go down the fucking toilet because a bunch of five-year-olds are trying to impress their mommy and daddy. Continuing, using the bit license enacted by state regulators, not state legislatures, as a rhetorical cudgel is one tactic crypto businesses and lobbyists in other states deploy when trying to influence the legislative processes. William Haney, owner of Pelicoin Bitcoin ATMs, did so while lobbying Louisiana representatives on their new crypto law. Quote, New York's bit license was usually brought up to illustrate how overzealous a state can be. It seemed like there was agreement from both sides of the aisle in that no one wanted something that was going to be oppressive to operators in the state of Louisiana, said Haney. But there really is no way to regulate a crypto business in the United States. Regulators and lawmakers have deployed any number of approaches from the bit license to the VCBA to including or adapting or even exempting Bitcoin from their money transmitter laws, as did New Hampshire, to doing nothing at all, which is probably what you should do. Notably, the Conference of State Bank Supervisors is working on a model law for money services businesses that seek to provide clarity around when and how to regulate virtual currency businesses. For now, it appears states have preferred to wait on massive crypto regulations rather than risk ostracizing businesses, as happened in New York, And the few states that have begun considering a different crypto model are looking west to Wyoming, where a veritable lollapalooza of crypto-friendly bills has enticed myriad blockchain businesses. Quote, I reference Wyoming all the time, said Wright, the Louisiana state representative. Quote, I follow, I think it's Caitlin Long on Twitter. End quote. Wow. That's a good way to just go ahead and end up the morning roundup. Let's see what's going on with the daily train wreck. Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by Raul Pal or <clears throat> at Raul GMI A or rather R A O U L G M I. If you are a real vision and crypto fanatic with deep industry knowledge, we are looking for a junior editor for crypto, blockchain, tokens, D5, digital assets. The role involves researching and booking guests, helping video editors gather charts, etc., writing copy, liaising with the production team, and helping implement crypto content strategies set by the managing editor and the senior crypto editor. Probably remote work, but also intense with juggling large workloads, hard deadlines, and plenty of things going wrong at the last minute. Oh, joy. Let's see. Uh, You need to work well under pressure and be self-motivated. You need a deep knowledge of the space and you need to have passion. Salary is sixty to seventy thousand dollars a year. 
write to talent at realvision.com with cover letter and CV. I won't reply on this thread. Thanks. And then he gives the uh, BTC uh, hashtag Bitcoin and God, hashtag Ethereum. Uh, Psychedelic Bart says it the best. Raul Paul is the next crypto man, Rand. That was one of the hardest things to, that I've read in a while. Now, this was actually a while back. This was all the way back on June the 18th. And it's kind of sad to see somebody who I had a great amount of respect for lose it all inside of four tweets. Why? Well, he's talking about crypto, blockchain, tokens, DeFi, and digital assets. I thought Real Vision was supposed to bring uh, some, some kind of sanity to the financial space. And it, it, it does. It absolutely does. But if you're going to try to bring sanity to this space, then you don't need to be touting crypto, blockchain, tokens, DeFi, and digital assets. That's just a bunch of horseshit. But be that as it may, that pile of horseshit is your smoldering pile. Corner, let's do it. Go. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes, who says, I warned my daughter about using her whistle inside and gave her one last chance. Unfortunately, she blew it. Man, that's some ugly stuff right there. That is ugly. Uh, I still, honestly, I'm still kind of reeling from the whole Raoul Paul Pal thing. Again, had a lot of respect for the dude, and he just burned it all. And it was not just with me. He got his ass handed to him by a whole group of people. Um, that's just, God, it's just sad having to watch somebody, you know, circle the drain. It's like, that's that's not the rabbit hole you're looking for, man. It's That's a rabbit hole that I, I can see how it can be engaging. But the problem is, is that it results in a complete and utter waste of your time. Don't do that. Just stick with Bitcoin. This is not investment advice, but dude, stick with Bitcoin. It's a lot safer. Uh, Okay, yeah. Saturday morning, I roll out to vacation. Just be aware. Uh, Last thing that I will say is that if you go to, if you're planning on buying tickets to BitBlock, boom, I have been given a discount code. It's Bitcoin and all one word. Just type that into the uh, coupon code box. When you're buying your tickets, if there's any left, I'm not sure if there actually is or not. Um, And, uh, you know, come with us to Dallas and hang out with with, uh, Boomer Bitcoin, Gary Leland and crew. There's going to be a lot of people that I have a great amount of respect for there. And hopefully they won't, I don't know, pass around crumpled up sheets of fortune cookie paper with the latest shit coin on it, like one of our our old buddies did a while back. yeah, so it's Bitcoin and all one word. I don't think it matters if it's capitalized or not, but you get thirty percent off of your ticket. Um, and I, I, you know, there are I think there are a, just a few tickets left, uh, but they are they are selling out. So if you are gonna go, then by all means get a ticket and go, and I'll see you there. Well, shit, I guess that means I'll just I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host David Bennett. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.